<laughs> After what Paul just said here. Anyway, I'm glad to uh, see you and make your acquaintance and uh, glad to be part of the congregation. Uh, I have been attending the church now for, oh, not quite a year, I guess, something like that. I uh, officially am a member. I don't remember the date. As you can tell, I already don't remember very much. Uh, no, that's really not quite the case. But anyway, I'm glad to be here with you and uh, share this time. For this morning's uh, thoughts that uh, we have, I want us to turn to a uh, particular uh, book, uh, but I should, uh, it will be the letter, the little tiny letter that Paul wrote to a man by the name of Philemon. Uh, if you would like to turn to it, we're going to hear it read here in just a few mem- minutes, but it's the letter that comes right before Hebrews, if that will make it a little bit easier. Hebrews is a bigger book, find Hebrews, and then the book that comes right before it. 23 verses long or something like that, not very long. Anyway, the uh, title of my comments for this morning are, uh, are simply this. Can a leopard change its spots? Have any of you ever seen a leopard in a zoo? Okay. Uh, Picture a leopard pacing around and someone coming up and looking at it and saying, you know, I bet you I could make that animal look better than it looks. You know, well, I don't think you're going to be able to change the spots of a leopard very well. So when in uh, Jeremiah... Uh, the author includes this expression, can a leopard change its spots? The obvious, since it's a rhetorical question, the obvious answer is no, you simply cannot change the leopard's spots. It was a way of making an affirmation. What is, is. You just have to sort of take it and accept it for that. That's the title for my thoughts this morning because the question, can a leopard change its spots? carries the natural answer, no, it can't. But, B-U-T capital, but, but there may be some things that we consider unchangeable that really are changeable. God can change them, even though we may just sort of assume that they cannot be changed. That's the thought as we, as we begin this morning. But that's the thought for the title of, the, of my comments this morning. The text for the message is going to come from Philemon, that little book, that, the little letter that Paul wrote. Uh, as we put the text and the title together, let me start to bridge here just a little bit. As uh, Pastor just mentioned I am involved in teaching at Crown and uh, one of the great things about teaching and about other things in in life as well is that it gives the opportunity for interaction with people I find that uh, that people are a great source of inspiration a great source of frustration a great source of challenge, a great source of comfort. We are very rich in our contribution to other people. 
and other people are very rich in their contribution to ourselves. Sometimes we might get so angry we would like to we use expressions some places throttle them. There are other times when we would just love to throw our arms around them and give them a great big hug and kiss. If I were in Argentina, I would even do that to men. Oh, how do you kiss a man? No, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> it's, not, it's not a romantic kiss. <laughs> it's just that we express ourselves in the Italian-oriented Argentina with a lot more enthusiasm and spontaneity than sometimes we have here, you know. Some of you might know how that goes if you have a little bit of Latin blood running through you. I don't know. But, oh, good. Um, I'm, I'm, feeling, I'm feeling at home here, better and better and more and more. Anyway, but uh, he wrote this letter to uh, Philemon. Paul wrote this letter to Philemon. And this girl by the name of Angie, Angela... Mayer was her name, a student. At the end of the course, of course it was called Jesus and the Gospels. She had a little assignment and she wrote the following for me to read. And I was glad to read it. She said this. In fact, I liked it so much I put it in my diary so I would be able to turn to it if I ever needed it. And I did, as you can see right now. She said... No matter how little we may think we are, with Christ, all things are possible. What can I, why can I say this? Because, Angie went on to say, Jesus can take the tiniest seed and throw and through his love, patience and adaptability, Jesus can grow it into something wonderful, growing toward the light and absorbing the sun, S-O-N, the sun light. Well, I happen to know more and more about Angie because I've had her in another class since she wrote this. And I also know that she is experiencing the kinds of things she's talking about. Her life once was comparable to a little seed. But as things have happened, the plant is starting to bloom. And it's changing. Can a leper change its spots? Yes. When that leper is in the hands of God. That's the confidence that I want us to have. And that's the confidence that I want us to consider this morning as we look at this little letter that Paul wrote to a man by the name of Philemon. Now, I want to also admit one other thing that I didn't mention in the first service. I happen to find stories very, very helpful. Now, as a professor, I can read all kinds of textbooks that some people are going to think they're so dry, they're so theoretical. I know, I have to read those. And I, I, don't, I don't disparage them, it's just that I know that that's a certain kind of literature that is helpful. But I also know that stories 
about human people are a great source of information. As we look at how you take these concepts and they're applied into local circumstances and relationships. And so we're going to look at three people this morning. Paul, who wrote the letter. Philemon, the man who got the letter. And Onesimus, the person about whom the letter is written. So those are the three people. There are more than that, those people in the letter, but those are the three we're going to look at. I'm going to ask uh, Paul if he would come now and read for us, as you have, can turn to it, the letter that Paul wrote to Philemon. Okay, Paul.
At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Have any of you ever, when you were, as my wife who was raised in Pennsylvania would say, when you were reading out some old letters and things from somebody else, you ever heard that expression, reading out? She was raised in the hills of Pennsylvania, and she learned from her grandmother that whenever you're cleaning up things, you're reading it out. I guess it comes from the idea that you're making it ready for something else that's going to happen. I'm guessing that that's where it came from. But have any of you ever, when reading out things, run across some letters from somebody that was maybe a grandmother or a grandfather, and you decided, I'm going to read this letter and see what they had to say? Has that happened to any of you guys? Have, has it? Have you? I, I find it very, very interesting. Sometimes I feel like I'm, a, um, I'm sort of poking into their personal life, you know, when I'm doing this. But one thing that I have noticed when I'm reading those kinds of things is that I don't always understand where the letter's coming from. I may not understand even who the person is that was getting the letter. I don't understand the circumstances surrounding the letter. And so I'm sort of guessing at what maybe was all involved in the letter. This letter that we just listened to is written with passion. It is written with love and care. And there's something else about it I just want to point out. I'm not going to come back to this, but did you notice how many different people were mentioned in the letter? Right there at the end, he even mentions Luke and Demas and some of these other people. We think of the letter as coming from Paul. But other people were joined together with this little letter. Now, out of all of the people who are mentioned, we're going to focus on three like I referred to earlier. So let's begin now with Paul. I don't remember any time in my life when, as a Christian, I wasn't somewhat familiar with the Apostle Paul. He just seemed, Paul and Jesus just seemed to go together. That was the heart, the human heart of Christianity. Well, John might have fit in, then maybe somebody else, but Paul and, and Jesus. Paul wrote this letter. But Paul, who wrote this letter, was not always what he was when he wrote the letter. Paul was raised in a home that um, was very religious. 
His father was a Pharisee. Now, do you remember how the Pharisees are portrayed in the Gospels? They are rigid. They are always right. They have the answers. They show off their righteousness. They are the epitome of the Jewish religion. Paul was raised by a man like that. He was raised in the home of a Pharisee. Now, let's go a little step further. How did the Pharisees and Jesus get along? There was no love lost. Now, we would say that Jesus loved them, and he did. But I have to admit, some of the things he said about the Pharisees, I'm not so sure I would be free to say to other people. I don't think that I would be able to call anybody that I knew a whitewashed sepulcher. I don't think so. I think that's going a little bit too far. But all of that to say that the relationship between Jesus and the Pharisees was really quite tense. Because the Pharisees were seen as and portrayed themselves as the epitomes of Jewish religion. Did the Pharisees embrace Jesus? No, they didn't. The Pharisees had close friends as in, the, in the hierarchy of Judaism called the Sanhedrin, the ruling body of Judaism. And you remember that it was the Sanhedrin with the support of the Pharisees and others who finally decided there's only one way to take care of this Jesus guy, and that is somehow kill him. And they did. And killing people in crucifixion is no cakewalk. It's no cakewalk to watch it, and it's no cakewalk to do it. But that's how they got rid of Jesus. They hated him. Paul was raised in the home of a Pharisee. He drank deeply from the well of the values of that father. He eventually was educated by one of the top-notch educators in Judaism, a man by the name of Gamaliel, which indicates that he was seen as a man of promise. Paul was there when the Pharisees and the righteous Jewish people of the day decided that they needed to make an example of somebody and they picked a guy by the name of Stephen and they stoned him to death and Paul was holding the garments of the people who were stoning him so they would be more freely able to throw the stones. Have you ever pictured what it would be like to watch a person stoned to death? One stone after another until the person is finally unconscious but still not dead and you still keep piling and pouring on the stones until there is no life left. 
And Paul watched it. But more importantly, Paul would have been taking part if he hadn't been taking care of the garments. Paul hated the Christians. And later, Paul, drinking deeply of the well from the well of his father, decides that he is going to form in a, a relationship with the Sanhedrin, the top body in Judaism, and go on a campaign and a crusade to uh, do away with the Christians. And uh, he becomes the one who goes traveling around that whole general area, grabbing Christians and taking them back to Jerusalem for punishment. In fact, he even refers to, in one case, in, in, in death. Have you ever thought of Paul as feeling comfortable with ISIS? People whose religion is such that for them, one of the best things they can do is kill their enemies, literally kill them, and do it in a cruel way if cutting off their head is cruel. Paul was like that. That's what he was. He was a leopard. Would anyone have ever thought that leopard can change his spots? No. He's what he is. In fact, how many of us, right this morning, if we were not saying it to anybody else, would say, how do, you get, how do you handle the ISIS group? You shoot them as fast as you can. Kill them before they kill you. I'm not just pretending. I have seen it in writing and I've, seen, I've heard people say it. In fact, I have to admit that down deep in my gut, I sometimes think the same way. That is the only way to take care of it. I know what they want to do. Kill them first. Paul fit into that mentality. By the time he writes this letter, he's not that. He's a different man. He goes from cold to a person who, from a person who calculates and imposes. He goes to being a gentle, warm embracing person. How many of us have ever experienced character change like that? Now, maybe not many of us. I recognize that. I'm not even sure that I have. But I do know that in God's hands, it's possible. In the letter, Paul that old, cold, hard, calculating man has become warm and helpful. I want you to look at what he does in the letter to two people, Onesimus and Philemon. We don't know how Onesimus, for an example, we don't know how Onesimus and Paul ever got acquainted. After all, Paul was in some kind of a jail. Somehow Onesimus ends up finding him. Don't know. That's a bunch of the unknown story, the background of the story. 
Eventually, Paul finds out that Onesimus is a runaway slave. Eventually, Onesimus becomes a Christian. And eventually, the topic comes up. Now, what do I do? What would you tell a runaway slave? Pretend you were Paul. We would be torn, wouldn't we? The one thing, though, that I find that Paul doesn't say about Onesimus is very helpful. He does not say to Onesimus, Onesimus, you got yourself into this mess, now get yourself out. Paul knows, after all, he refers to it in his letter, that at some point Onesimus had uh, pilfered some money or stolen some treasure or created some kind of financial problem for Philemon, the owner, and he had run off with the money. He knows that uh, Onesimus has left his master in a lurch. And it would be very, very natural for some of us to say to a person like that, I can't do anything, fend for yourself. But Paul doesn't do that. He involves himself in the problem of Onesimus and does what he can. He's a caring, loving, giving person. And he writes a letter to the master of the slave, a letter that he did not have to write. Simply saying, Nesimus, take care of it. You've made the mess. Clean it up. He didn't do that. He would have done that earlier in his life, but not now. Look what he does with Philemon in this letter. Did you notice as Paul was reading how frequently Paul, I have met Paul now, Paul, I have two Pauls there, how, how the author Paul says things like this, I ask you, I suggest, I recommend, I hope. And he never tells Philemon, do this. You notice that? You notice the approach? He is working with Philemon. He's not working over Philemon. He's working with Onesimus. He's not working over Onesimus. He's become gentle. Caring, cautious. He doesn't know how this is going to end, but he knows how he hopes it will end. But he doesn't dominate. That was the old Paul. One of the spots is starting to fade away. Perhaps some of us have seen changes like that in our lives. I hope so. not easy. I'm not always sure how much character change I've experienced. I don't know. I'm not always sure that we can see the character change in ourselves.
Maybe others need to see it. But it can happen. Let's look at Onesimus now for a few moments. What about this, this fellow? Onesimus is a slave who runs away from his home, his master. There's so much we know about slavery in the time of Rome that we don't know anything about it as far as Onesimus is concerned. For an example, a person could become a slave by being a prisoner of war. And wars were common, just like they are now. And taking captives were not to take them and put them in some kind of prisoner of war camp. Taking captives was to get the people and make a slave out of them. So the person who became the slave, if that was the background, were people who were already involved in violence, one way or the other. So you could become a slave by being a prisoner of war. You could become a slave by being <clears throat> captured by, by slave uh, takers, people who travel around and take boats and enslave people. No war, just slave takers. You could become a slave in another way. This is the one that, one of the ways that really tears me apart. The time of Rome, when a woman ends up carrying a baby and a decision is made, whole nother story, why that mother doesn't want that baby, one of the ways of disposing of that baby is to put it in the gutter of some Roman city and wait for somebody to pick up that baby. But why would someone want to pick up that baby? Because it was a potential source of income. You either sell that child when they got old enough, recuperate your investment. If it's a girl, you maybe turn it into a prostitute. But the child never knew anything other than that. People could become slaves for that reason. If it were a boy, perhaps a boy were raised to become some kind of a physical slave. There were other ways that people became slaves. If you happen to have a, gotten yourself into financial problems and had a great big debt and your family was now involved in the situation, you could sometimes sell yourself as a slave to help take care of your family or pay off the debt. That's a pretty high price. But then there was another situation, and this one is really a hard one. I want you to really picture with me now that there was someone in this congregation who had really, really, they were not family. They were a fellow Christian here in this church. And they had gotten themselves into such financial problems that you decide to sell yourself as a slave 
and give that money to the, your fellow Christian. There are cases like that that have been found in literature. You could come from a variety of backgrounds, but you're still a slave. You still end up with no freedom. And that's where Onesimus was. When Onesimus becomes a Christian, again, there's something else that doesn't happen. Doesn't have to do now with Onesimus carrying a letter or what Paul said. No, this is something different. The one thing a slave could never do is to ask a Christian to accompany him, the slave, to a Roman officer and explain that he had now become a Christian, could the Roman man write a letter of emancipation? Becoming a Christian did not free you from any of society's obligations. You were a slave, whether a Christian or not. And that's where Onesimus was. But Onesimus goes back to Philemon, knowing that. Knowing that, the one thing that I hadn't mentioned yet, that by going back, Philemon had the possibility and the right to have Onesima crucified. Why? Because Rome wants slaves to know. You break out of slavery and Rome will not tolerate it. And you'll die. And we're going to make your death so obvious that any slave who knows about your dying will say to themselves, I might not like it, but I'm not ready to get myself killed on a cross. So Onesimus is really taking quite a risk, if you want to say it like that, as far as being ready to give himself over to Jesus Christ. Now what is happening here with Onesimus? Let me take it to a different level. Society has a, an organization to it. And in that organization, certain things are expected and other things are not expected. But you have rules. You have consequences. We as people may not like all the rules and consequences. But we have them. Why does society have rules and consequences? Now, in spite of how badly they may function, they nonetheless have rules because it's better than chaos. Picture 100,000 people in a stadium. 
and everyone is locked into the stadium. They can't get out. Somehow food is provided to them miraculously by some kind of a helicopter, ba ba ba. So they're able to eat. They can't get out. There's no external authority imposing rules and regulations. What's finally going to happen in that stadium? Power is going to start to rule. And it will be chaos. Any rules would be better than none. See, in in society, we have to have some rules. You have to have something that provides a little bit of cohesion. They may not be good rules. And people might get hurt because people violate, blah, blah, all the kind of things you can imagine. But just think of the opposite. No rules. And what would we have? In that kind of scenario, with that kind of thinking, now picture a man who had violated the rules of society by fleeing his master and taking something with him in the process. And having to go back and face the consequences, which he has decided to do, even if he's carrying a letter from Paul. That's no guarantee that Philemon is going to say, okay, fine. He doesn't know. Onesimus is showing that he has accepted to the degree that he can the concept of responsibility to social norms. There will always be exceptions. There will always be violations. There will always be problems. But it is not going to the extreme of simply striking the whole thing down because we realize that among humans we have to do something to keep things afloat. And as a Christian, we are the ones who are most capable of maintaining some kind of civilization, some kind of civility within our society. That's all part of it. And Onesimus has accepted to live that way. There's a leper who is changing his spots. Let's look at Philemon for just a few moments. Philemon is a different case. Put yourself in Philemon's shoes. One day, he goes to the door of his house, heard a knock or a clap of the hands, however you signify that you're there. You go to the door, and the person you never expected is the one that's standing there, Onesimus. What is Philemon going to think? He hasn't read the letter. He hasn't heard from Paul. Onesimus gives him the letter. Philemon takes a moment to read the letter. How is Philemon going to react? 
the former sla- the, the the person that he that Philemon still considers his slave is brought the letter back, and he reads that Paul is asking asking Philemon to do something favorable for Onesimus. What is Onesimus? I mean, what is Philemon bringing? to the situation. He's bringing a, something that we all do. Characteristic of his era, but we still all do it. He is bringing a, what, for lack of another term right now, I'm simply going to call social categories. By that I simply mean Onesimus is in the slave category. Some people are in the rich man's category. Some people are in the educational category. And it's easy to have categories because we all use them and it's a lot easier than doing something. Like, for an example, someone asked me, oh, you go to church in McHenry. Yes, that's where I go. Tell me about the church. You ever had that kind of a question? Now, do you, do I, when someone asks me, tell me about the church, do you now start picturing everybody you know in the church and start, start telling the biography of every one of them? No. You give them a general explanation that fits everybody to the degree that you can. You've made generalizations and everyone fits in there. It makes conversation a lot easier and a lot shorter. It also brings in all kinds of dangers because there are always exceptions. Onesimus now is going to be one of them. How does Onesimus fit into Philemon's categories? He's a Christian. He's a slave. But Paul introduces a very new word into the conversation. You heard it while Paul, Pastor Paul was reading it. He calls Onesimus Adelphos. Adelphos. Philadelphia. Philadelphia means what? The city of Philadelphia. The name itself means what? Brotherly love. Philos is love. Delphia refers to brother. Adelphos. Hermano. Brother. Adelphos. He is telling Philemon, there's a new category that I want you to apply to Onesimus. He's your brother. I am your brother. We are brothers in Christ. He's changed the categories for Philemon. I have three daughters. I happen to have had the privilege 
and performing the wedding ceremony for all of them. And part of a wedding ceremony is having some comments for the spouses. Well, since they all attended each other's wedding, I had to have three different comments. I couldn't use what I used for Karis with Connie, etc. And for one of them, I used and developed the idea for them that, Scott, you are marrying your sister in Christ. Christy, you are marrying your brother in Christ. You will be spouses. You will be parents, hopefully. You'll be a lot of things. But you are brother and sisters. Brother and sister. When I grew enough to understand in my life, I realized that my wife Joyce, who has been gone now for five years, was more than my wife. She was my sister. No matter what other category I wanted to use when I was thinking of her, she was my sister in Christ. We as parents are brothers and sisters to our children. We as children are brother and sister to our parents and our grandparents. And in a congregation like this, we are brothers and sisters to each other. See, I don't have to go to only a few specific verses in the Bible to find out how I should relate to people as Christians. I only have to go to the Bible to see what it says about how people of God are to relate to themselves. Any passage that talks about how Christians should relate because they're children of God, that is appropriate for all of us with each other, including spouses, parents, grandchildren, and slave owners and slaves. You see how revolutionary Paul was? And Philemon apparently accepted the letter. In fact, if he would not have accepted the letter, it wouldn't even be in the Bible. Onesimus if he would have bailed out on his trip back to Philemon's house, the letter would have never made it into the Bible. But it did. They came through. The leper changes spots. And so can we. From cold and calculating to caring, from irresponsible to responsibility, from slave master to brother.
Those are the three that we see in this letter. Let's pray. Father God, you are very good and gracious to us. You've given us these three people in this one letter that illustrate to us that changes can be made and they are made and they are available to us. We may not see them as quickly as we would like. We may sometimes be so discouraged that we think that it's going to be impossible. But you are the great creator and the great restorer and the great accomplisher. And we put ourselves into your hands for those changes to be made. And we thank you for the changes that we have seen. And we anticipate further ones down the road. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.